This is The Table Business, a Sounds Like Adventure podcast all about people doing great work in the tabletop world. On this show, we're going to speak to the independent creators who make the games that you and I love. I'm your host and the DM of Sounds Like Adventure, Jack Trainer. All right, here we are. Episode one of The Table Business. Thanks for joining us. And if you're coming over to us from Sounds Like Adventure, hey, welcome. I'm so glad you've come across because we have a seriously great first episode for you. Today I'm joined by Chris Corrigan from Houndsong Games. Now, Houndsong Games has a super diverse offering and Chris will explain all about it in the conversation. But the main thing that we were here to talk about is something called Relict. So Relict was born out of the OGL fiasco of 2023. What initially started as a setting for 5e that was sci-fi became a totally new game in a fantasy setting. So the story of how Relict came about is really interesting. I can't wait for you to hear it. And in the conversation, we'll dive into the system itself. We'll talk about some of the class customization options, which is really unique to this system. We'll talk about the damage system, which just blew me away. I was just struck by this, and I'm so keen to play a game of this. And we'll also touch on the unique monster choices that they've made in this system. But before we dive in, I do want to let you know, you can play Relict right now. It's free. Just go to relicrpg.com. There'll be a Kickstarter later, but there is literally nothing stopping you from starting a session of this tomorrow. All right, with all that in mind, let's get into it. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So let's start out with an easy one. Just tell us a little bit about yourself before we dive into things. Sure. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm Chris Corrigan. I'm an author. I'm a game designer. Currently living in Virginia, America, U.S. Spent about a decade out in Seattle working as an industrial designer and got into game design a couple of years ago after being a longtime, you know, fan and player. And I don't know, it's been it's been a weird lateral move, but it's been a lot of fun. Well, let's talk about the game design stuff soon. But before we get into that, I really love to know everyone's sort of unique path into the world of tabletop because, you know, it's a it's a world of stories, basically. So everyone has an amazing story. So how did it start for you? From a distance for a very long time. Tabletop was one of those hobbies growing up where I always like kind of heard about it like second and third hand. I was like, that sounds so cool. Um, And never, ever was in a position to actually participate um, for a very long time because I lived, you know, military kids. We moved all over the country. It was every two, three years was going to a completely different state, completely different town. And I never set foot in a game store until I was probably like 18, 19 years old and heading off to college, you know. Tried a little bit in college, never really found a group, and then it just sort of drifted away as this thing like, yeah, I really enjoy games and stuff, but I'll just play video games, I'll do this, that, and the other thing. Um, And then you hit, I think there's a threshold in adulthood that's like an unsung milestone for people that's really exciting where you just kind of go, oh, I can do whatever I want now, and I have the means to do that. So I informed uh, my brother was living out in Seattle with me um, as well. And I just informed him and a couple of my friends like, hey, guess what? We're playing D&D this weekend. <laughs> uh, none of you have ever played before except my brother, uh, who he kind of led me into it first. But we're like, we're playing this weekend. I'm GMing. I've got a game. Be at my house at noon. And we just started doing it. And we had a blast with it. 
Uh, and then that carried over. I moved back here uh, to Virginia. It's where my family's from. And immediately a bunch of my old college friends were like, hey, guess what? We play d and I was like, <laughs> okay, cool. So it was like immediately I came back, had a friend group. We were immediately playing like a week after I got back. It was, it was a ton of fun. Um, and fun twist, I actually met my fiance uh, in that game. Wow. That worked out. Uh, she had been playing a 3-5 uh, campaign for a long time. And that group kind of broke up. And she was a friend of a friend who was in my group that I was GMing a game. And we we're like, listen, we already got six players, but I don't care. Bring her in. Sure. And uh, yeah, now now we bought a house and <laughs> here we are. I was going to say, you you were saying it, was, it felt almost like a lateral move, but it sounds like life-wise, like, uh, I don't know. Very critical. Yeah. Does it, Do you feel more in, engaged by your life now than before? A hundred percent. I mean, this is... It's nerve-wracking starting a business and trying to launch something, as I'm sure you will know. Um, it's stressful. With a lot of that stress and risk and everything also comes an enormous amount of creative freedom, which I worked in an industrial job for a long time, and it was a different kind of creativity and problem-solving and everything, but it's nice to just be like, no, we're going to do something crazy right now and just kind of you know, damn the consequences, here we go. Um, so it's been extremely rewarding in that aspect. So you spoke a little bit about the business just then. So, so tell me about the business. Hound Song is my creative umbrella that I do a bunch of different stuff under. So I, uh, the gaming is kind of like the big flagship project that I'm building up right now. But I also work as a freelancer. I've done uh, freelance art and layout and writing for different other studios. Um, I teach uh, art and design courses online through platforms like Udemy and YouTube and whatever. So that's kind of like Houndsong Academy is my little offshoot there. But it's just easier to kind of have one overarching thing that covers all the different aspects. So let's talk a little bit about Relict now. So there's a lot of people out there sort of writing independent material and trying different things. But to go like, I'm going to do my whole own system now, that's like <laughs> quite a journey and only few people choose to embark on that. Why is that something you're deciding to do? Um, I have never been accused of lack of ambition. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for me, it was, it very much dovetails with, uh, we mentioned in kind of the pre-roll, my last project, uh, C.S. Enders was in brief, supposed to be a fifth edition science fiction book, died in the crossfire of the OGL fiasco earlier uh, this year. And for me, it was like, okay, we need to sit down and reassess. There was a reason, there's very much a business reason to develop for a game like Pathfinder or fifth edition, right? There's a number from a business purely perspective. Uh, it's getting into an ecosystem. It's being able to kind of coattail onto you know, Hasbro and Wizards of the Coast spends more money advertising in a year for D&D &D than you or I combined will make in our entire lives, effectively. It's a fair <laughs> assumption, yeah. Um, so you can dovetail on that. Uh, there's an enormous advantage for kind of working within an ecosystem with other creators. So like, if I make a fifth edition adventure and you make a book with 100 fifth edition monsters, a player can take both of those and put them together and do something. Uh, so there's a lot of appeal to that. And when it looked like all of that was going away, the whole math flips around because then it's like, well, we're not going to get the ecosystem. Our IP isn't ours anymore, potentially. Other people aren't working in the same system we are, no matter where we go, even if we go to the next biggest one, it's a difference of like 90% market size. Um, so from business angles, 
all of that went away. And then it was like, okay, well now there's, let's look at the creative opportunity. For me, I'm a designer, I've worked in systems, I've worked in you know user experience and all this other stuff. And it's like, all right, well, fifth edition is great because it's the biggest fish in the pond, right? But if that's no longer the thing, what would I do differently? Um, and so Relict was a bunch of like little elements that I had in sketchbooks and journals of like, oh, this would be cool. What if a system did this? What if, what if it did that? And I kind of just started putting things together and going like, all right, is there something here? Is this something we could look at? You know, what, how would I handle uh, player damage and tactical decisions or role-playing or exploration if I wasn't within the bounds of fifth edition? What would I want to do instead? Like I said, I kind of cobbled something together real quick and showed it to my, my, my fiance and our friends and our table group and whatever. It was like, well, this is fun. There's something here. And it kind of just snowballed from there. It was like, all right, well, we're going to do the thing. We're going to do the thing. And then my little uh, spiteful, not spiteful, uh, is spiteful idealism a thing? Uh, my spiteful addition to that was if I'm going to do this, I'm going to put it out there and I'm going to hell or high water, put it under an open license that no one can ever mess with. So Relict is going to be open for others to develop on. They don't need to license with me or anything like that. Um, I've talked to a lawyer about kind of how to structure that. We kind of got to get to like a final version one before that's done, but that is where it is going. And so there will never be an OGL fiasco <laughs> for my system. <laughs> by, by George. So let's talk a little bit about Relict now. What's the coolest thing from your perspective about this system? What's the thing that you go, man, I wish people just knew about this. So the cool thing to me, I, we're doing a couple of things that are that are weird and wild and have been a lot of fun to play around with in testing and, and, and getting people hands-on with it. The cool thing for me is I am very much as a player, a character builder type of, of RPG player. Um, so the one thing I wanted to do for sure when I was like, we're making our own system, screw it, uh, was... Here's the story. I wrote a book a couple of years ago. It's called Tattered Pawns. You can get it on Amazon. Um, it's a fantasy novel. The goal I set for myself when I started kind of piecing together the Relic system was I want to be able to point to any character I've ever written and say, this is the classes that they would be. Um, like that was just like when we've hit that point, I'll know that this has the level of weird character design options that I'm going for. Uh, so Relict is designed from the ground up. Every character is some kind of multi-class. Um, so each class is sort of designed as like half of a character. And there's no limit on how you can mix and match those. Um, I actually plugged all the variables into like one of those math formula websites. There's like, just with what we've got now, about 1,500 unique character classes you could be. Wow. Uh, when all of the classes are done, because I'm just sort of uploading this thing in stages as I finish things, uh, it's going to be somewhere in four to 5,000 range. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, That's a lot. Which is a lot of fun. Yes. <laughs> um, so that was super cool. So like, it's, it's exciting when I get people to start trying out the system and they're like, well, what class should I be? And I'm like, what character do you want to be? And we can find one. Like, it's fine. So imagine I've just asked that to you and you and I are about to come up with a character together. Let's say like a, a, a scoundrel uh, rogue who is like also actually 
tough and strong, like can actually fight at the same time and can withstand damage. He's not he's not flimsy like a standard rogue would be. Uh, so we have a class that is literally called the Scoundrel. Uh, so that would probably be a good start. Um, that one is a little bit more focused on like the kind of charlatan manipulation side of things. So if you play a class that's really into like, I'm going to trick these people and I'm going to do something clever and I'm going to do this, that, and the other thing, scoundrels your bet. Another option, if you're like, actually just want to be like a sneaky stabby type person, we have an assassin class, um, which is more, I'm going to be stealthy. I'm going to come out of nowhere. I'm going to do a thousand damage to you. Like that's the move. Um, so either of those is your starting point, and I would pair it up with something like either a knight or a warrior for your secondary half, uh, both of which are going to be tough in different ways. Knight focuses a little bit more on, like, high endurance. Warrior is a little bit more like, I'm going to get in there and mix it up and just have a lot of fighting options constantly and just consistently be in this fight continually. Uh, but for what you explicitly described, I'd probably say... Assassin or Scoundrel plus Knight would be your best bet. And I can make that happen from, like, initial character creation. I don't need to, like, reach a certain level before I can multi-class and things like that. No, so uh, the motto that I've been using is uh, fun from level one. Um, (laughs) So the way it works is when you create your character, you pick your classes. Um, And you have access to all of the classes' abilities from level one. We use a uh, like a stamina or a mana system to like use abilities. So your stamina and your mana regenerate each round. So if you want to use like my big hit attack is five stamina, I spend five this round, I'm empty, that's my move. Next round I get three back, whatever. Um, so you have access to your whole skill set for all of your classes immediately. Your mana and stamina levels increase as you level up. So those bigger moves from your different classes become more accessible over time but it's usually balanced for most character builds you can build something really min maxi and weird but you most of the time you can use the vast majority of your skills from the get-go there might be some like high high level spells that would be very hard to cast but that doesn't really come into play too much um and then what you do is when you build your character you designate which class is your main one we call it a major class Um, And then as you level up, that class branches into, like, really niche buffs and unlocks that kind of work with that specific, like, gameplay loop for that class. But that also means that in your example, if you were playing an assassin knight, that's going to play very differently than if you built a character that was a knight assassin. Uh, Because your knight is going to level up differently, and the knight moves are going to be a little bit cheaper to cast each turn. Whereas the assassin moves, and if that's the secondary, those moves are a little more expensive and you don't get the level up specific stuff. Uh, So that's kind of how we work in this, like, different ways to apply the kind of similar move sets for different kind of characters. Talk to me a little bit about the damage system. I was reading this (laughs) and it seemed like this was the thing that jumped out to me of like, ooh, I like this. So what's the go? Player characters do not have a traditional hit point pool. Um, so there, there's a trade-off here, obviously, in all game design, in level of abstraction, right? Hit points are very abstract. Uh, we've all played games, I think this is pretty universal, where it's like, I'm down to one hit point, I take a nap, I'm fine. Like, it's, you know, that's that's a pretty standard level, but it's very simple, it's, it's you know, mathematically easy. Um, wanted to do something a little bit different with that. It was actually, it came from a challenge I saw, someone said, uh, 
if you were going to design a system that didn't have health, what would you do? Go. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's actually kind of cool. So instead, we have this chart. Uh, so the way it works is you have these charts. It's like a flow chart in your character sheet packet, right? When you take damage of different types, they correspond with one of those little columns. So like, for example, over here, this is like slashing damage. And over here is burning damage. And over here is, you know, like psychic damage or something. Monster attacks you, you take five slashing damage. You go, okay, great. One, two, three, four, five. And on that chart, and it's different for each damage type, you'll hit little milestones where something happens. Uh, so for slashing damage, you'll start bleeding. And bleeding incurs more damage in the next round if you don't do something about it. Uh, for burning damage, this will surprise you. You catch fire, which is oftentimes bad. I've heard, I've heard this. So what this allows us to do is be really granular about different kinds of damage doing different things to you, which lead to very different reactions from players when things are happening. So like the example I use is if you're playing an HP system, you get kicked by a giant or you get lit on fire by an elemental, you take 10 damage of both instances. Well, realistically, unless something specific triggers, you just took 20 damage. Nothing really changes. In this system, being 10 points of on fire is very, very different than 10 points of punched in the face. Like, <laughs> like you're both are bad. Both are going to lead to trouble for you. Uh, but depending on what your character is, what your abilities are, what your resources are, how you handle that is going to be different. Or even better, if your party member is set on fire, your reaction is very different than if they get hit with an arrow. I'll give you an example. In one of our play tests uh, a couple weeks ago, one of our testers is playing a, I'm just going to say this because it's really cool. They're playing a Gorgon Blink Mage Berserker. A Gorgon is a snake-headed, turning-into-stone lizard person. A Blink Mage is my favorite class. Uh, it doesn't do any crazy damage or offensive stuff. It just teleports in weird ways. Uh, so all of its abilities are I teleport, you teleport, that teleports in just different <laughs> flavors. It's my favorite just cause chaos on the battlefield class. It's just a ton of fun. And a berserker, its core mechanic is it's it's kind of our barbar barbarian type thing. Uh, but the core mechanic is every turn you decide how much of a bonus you're going to give everything else to hit you. But you do that much more damage. So it's just like, okay, this round I'm going all in. Someone's getting hurt. I'm getting hurt. Let's go. Uh, so they're playing this awesome character. And they're holding the top of these stairs from this like undead horde and elementals and stuff that's coming up. I'm having so much fun narrating the scene as they're just blasting skeletons down, scattering down the staircase. Amazing. But they're taking arrows and everything, and they're fighting this big burning undead elemental creature. And she has this moment as she's fighting where she realizes, like, I keep taking all these piercing arrow hits, which... For most characters, impedes your movement. You do damage to yourself if you take a ton of piercing damage and you run a lot. She goes, wait, I can teleport. I'm like, yep. And she goes, okay, well, the damage is bad. That's going to lead to problems, but the, the movement penalty doesn't apply to me. And I'm like, that is correct. And she goes, oh, screw the archers. I want the fire dude. And she just dives in and just starts brawling with this fire monster one-on-one. -on -one. And she's taking all these hits and it's like, oh, your armor is coming off. You've broken a bone. You're doing this. And she's like, none of that matters right now. I'm going to kill it. And then she kills it and teleports away. And I'm like, that was the coolest thing ever. 
so like in the fiction of the game, she's like filled with arrows as she's doing this, I guess. Yeah. And just instead of moving, she's just teleporting and smashing down on this thing. And it's just, it was so much fun. And it became this really cool moment for the characters because the party's seeing all of this happen too, right? And like, they're having their own little dynamics with this. Um, And just like that is the kind of moment that is enabled by this sort of damage system that is just an enormous amount of fun. That is extremely awesome. I think you have just pled the best case possible for for Relict right now. That was, uh, you've you've sold me. But I do want to ask, so like let's imagine that like there's a D&D fan who's listening and there definitely will be, um, and they're interested in trying out a new system. Why should they pick Relict as that system that they try? One, I think we focus very heavily on role-playing in and uh, combat affecting each other much more. Um, you'll find a lot of stuff in Relict is very built into, like, you got in a fight, now what? Like, how does that change your quest going forward? In Relict, you can get into a fight that you're definitely going to win, but if you break a bone, you still broke a bone when the damage is over, when, when the fight is over. Um, And this affects your decisions going into the quest and going into like, well, what are we going to accomplish now? And like, what's the risk we're taking? I think you're going to find much, many more organic kind of, I don't want to just say like cool player moments, but organic like storytelling beats just kind of baked into this system. Like none of what I just described with that standoff and the the fire and the arrows and everything, none of that was planned. I, as the GM, was just like, I'm going to put a couple of monsters up here. And then they were like, we're going to hold this staircase. And that all just unfolded. And I was like, well, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't the plan any of that. Tabletop games right there. That's 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 it in yeah. a nutshell, isn't it? Um, anything else you'd mention to that, um, this, this uh, D&D fan who's is just on the precipice of checking out Relict? I think that that person would have a lot of excitement uh, looking at what we call advanced monsters um so we have a uh, there's there's two kinds of monsters that i've designed into the system right um they're simple and advanced that's not breaking them up based on what is more dangerous like i threw a couple of uh, cockatrices at some of my playtesters a, a little while ago which are just big dumb lizard birds it's a simple monster. It's got a couple of abilities. It jumps around and it does damage and they tore them up. Like it was a big fight. Uh, whereas advanced monsters can kind of run the gamut from like weird little effects and, and nitpicky things and interesting moments to a whole dragon that's going to burn down the cave. Like that's, there's no difficulty associated with that. The difference is that simple monsters have just basic health, just basic abilities. They're easy for the GM to run. So if you want to run a horde of monsters, a horde of zombies or whatever, you just grab the simple stat blocks and that's great. Um, my expectation is about 80-90% of most campaigns are probably going to be the simple monster category. Advanced monsters are a little bit more involved, and what they do is they have mana and stamina, just like players. Uh, so they have a pool of resources that they are managing to enable bigger abilities outside of their normal, like, swing a sword and do damage. Did you say sword? It's fine. Uh, <laughs> So they have some more advanced abilities that will make things happen a little bit differently. But they also have uh, a wound system, which I think is another moment of like really interesting organic unfolding gameplay. Uh, So if you deal X amount of damage and it's different in each stat block, uh, but if you do X amount of damage to that monster in a single turn, they take a wound. 
if you just do all wounds, they'll die faster than just hitting them to do damage and bring down their, their health. Okay, great. Uh, but each one of them has specific kinds of wounds they can take from specific damage types. So I said dragon a minute ago. If a dragon takes a wound from slashing damage, for example, it loses some of its flight speed. If a fire dragon takes freezing damage that inflicts a wound, its fire aura and its fire breath are reduced somewhat. So that can lead more into either the party doesn't know this when they get into a fight, and you get into this big brawl and you're fighting this big monster and something weird happens. And that changes the whole dynamic of the encounter. Go, oh, oh, we got to hit this thing with psychic damage. Okay, where's the mind mage? Let's do this. Or for GMs who are more interested in building in story beats and tying in combat and role-playing and encounters and everything, you could turn it into quest rewards and triggers and things where it's like, okay, you know that there's a frost giant on top of this mountain. There are folklore tales about it in all the villages of the valley. If you get close to it, it will freeze you to death. What are you going to do? And then they can go talk to the village elder or go into the archive and learn from the ancient tome in the pit of the despair or whatever. Oh, it's weak to this. It's weak to that. It's strong to this. And you can build these little role-playing moments in. Okay, we need potions of cold resistance. We need the ability to do a ton of fire damage right at the start or we're in trouble. And this turns into now, instead of just a big monster, it turns into a quest. One of my big goals is to tie the role-playing, the combat, the exploration together in a more organic and fluid way than I think D&D often allows. And these are some of the things that I'm trying to do to bring that to the forefront. Yeah, it's 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 really interesting because what you've described there, that feels like stuff that I am doing in my D&D games, but the rules do not account for it. It's stuff that I'm having to wrap the rules around. And what I do for that type of thing what day is this going to come out? Yeah, so this will be this will be after the final episode of uh, season one of Sounds Like Adventure. So, in in that fight, they're fighting a giant triceratops skeleton, and it has health gates essentially. Things happen, and stuff happens to its skeleton, and it becomes less and less mobile over time as they wear away at this thing's health to give them an advantage because they were really it, it was it was a tough fight, that's for sure. Um, so. It's, it's, it's really interesting that you're like capturing this, this aspect of like storytellings in the details. And I, I really agree with that. So you're building a system that sort of like allows for those details to be a central aspect of the rules of the game, which I think is really interesting. Where can people support this if they want to they check it out? Uh, so Relict, as I mentioned at probably some point or another, uh, Relict is completely free. Um, Obviously, supporting me through Patreon and coffee and everything that's all on the website is necessary and delightful, but I am the whole point is to put this out there and get people playing it. Uh, the website is relictrpg.com. Um, I'm sure we'll have that in a description somewhere, but for the audio folks, that's R-E-L-I-C-T-R-P-G.com. Um, it's like relic with a T, which is actually a real word, it turns out. Uh, it's a, an organic relic. Oh, there you go. I didn't know that until I started looking for uh, words to call my game. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we're going to be doing a Kickstarter in uh, this coming February. Um, so that's going to be sort of a starter kit is what we're putting together for that. So if you want to uh, try out the system for yourself or if your table wants to get together and like run a one shot or run a game, this is the kit for you. Uh, the kit includes three booklets. They'll be available physically or in a PDF. 
Um, so booklet one is the adventurer's guide. That's kind of just how, you know, how to roll the dice and what's, uh, how to run your character and how the action economy works and, you know, how to take actions and do things. Uh, the GM's book, it's got a slimmed down version of like the running the game rules in it. So if you want to be the dungeon master, you want to be the game master, that's what you go to. Uh, that's got stuff in there about like how to run traps and how to do locks and how to do all this other kind of things and like make the game happen for, for the table. Um, and the third booklet that's going to be in there is called Hunger at the House of Healing. It's going to be our first official um, adventure module. Um, it's like a three to six hour quest, depending on how aggressive your party is about interacting with some of the NPCs. Uh, but I'm writing it, designing it uh, for new tables. So it's intended to be for new GMs and new players. So if you want that to be like the kickoff for your first quest, or it's a great starting place is like, we want to try a one shot, we want to try a two shot, whatever. That's a great adventure to run. Uh, if the Kickstarter succeeds beyond our initial goal, we'll add more quests and modules to that. Like we've got some penciled in ideas for like what could additional settings and quests and adventures be. Uh, but that is all coming up, as I said, this February. So keep an eye out for that. Um, and links to that are just on the homepage. So I like to end these conversations with a couple of questions that I always ask. Um, so let's jump into those now. So what's one thing that most people don't realize about independent tabletop creators like yourself? Uh, well, one, I mentioned earlier, none of us get into this to get rich, um, but we still do have to pay bills. So there is that. Support your, your favorites. Um, tabletop game design and everything, because so much of this hobby is very driven by imagination and like organic emerging experiences that you have at the table with your friends, there's really no quality gate in terms of like an, a game that an independent creator or an independent podcaster or anything like that for that matter puts together has every chance to be just as entertaining as an exciting uh, or as much of a failure to be fair as something that is put together by a huge team with a million dollar budget because like game design is like half of the experience the crazy stuff comes out when you and your friends are rolling dice and things happen um, so for me, for us, for a lot of the independent people that I, that I talk to and hang out with and, and whatever, what we're looking for, what we're aiming to do is create opportunities for something to happen to you. Um, and I think that's just something to, to bear in mind when you're looking at, you know, the latest big budget, flashy Hollywood trailer release or whatever, just be like, yeah, I mean, that's cool. That's great. I have no issue with people enjoying that. And I don't think many other creators do either. But don't don't limit yourself. Like there's plenty of crazy stuff that can happen around the table, no matter what you plan. Um, and I just uh, I don't know. Experiment. Have fun. Second question: uh, What was your first ever character in a tabletop game? <laughs> okay, my first ever character in any tabletop game. I'm going to exclude video game adaptations because I might have spent like a thousand hours playing Neverwinter Nights as a kid. <laughs> so excluding that pure tabletop, first most memorable one would be, uh, my brother was hosting a, had to be 5e at this point. We was hosting a game and we didn't think I was gonna be able to make it, but I showed up, just my schedule changed the last minute. And so we rolled up a character right before and we did a ton of like random table stuff. Um, so I wound up playing a grizzled, drunk old sailor cleric who was in a tiff with his deity or whatever and had a doorknob as his trinket from a ship that had sunk. 
and the whole fight wound up being, you know, the inn is attacked by cultists or whatever, and I realized that the most effective thing I could do was the inn was right next to a river. So I stood in the doorway with a tower shield and just kept making push checks and just kept launching people into the river, and they survived because it wasn't a long fall, but they got carried down river and got back out of the bank and ran back up to try and fight us again. So I wound up just kiting this whole, like, conveyor belt of cultists. Uh, and that was... I think for me, the cool thing about that was just like, okay, this is a fun, this is a fun game. Like, I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> yeah, I had a silly idea and you let me do it and it, it worked exactly as I was hoping. So amazing. That's, that's the game in a nutshell right there. Uh, and finally, uh, what's your favorite story from your time around the table? It could be a funny story. It could be something meaningful. Immediately have one. Uh, <laughs> um, so this is a story, uh, I told you I met my fiance playing at our fifth edition table here. Um, and this was, I believe, I'm certain, actually, this was her first game. I'm the DM. She comes in. We had rolled up a four elements monk for her, um, who was also an elf. She moves at like a thousand feet uh, around. She joins the the party. They're on this like swashbuckling airship pirate adventure through floating islands and they had been working up to like this boss's fortress island they join they go through all these levels of this island that i've made for them they get to the top and it's this like orcish war boss and his lieutenants up there and i had built this map that was like at the edge of this precipice because it's a flying island and the ocean is you know two thousand feet below and these three big guys roll out and i'm like this is gonna be a cool fight the roll initiative she winds up way at the top of it and she takes like two steps over right to the edge of the island. And she goes, okay, so I'm within, I think it's like 25 feet of the boss, right? I'm like, yeah, great. I'm going to use water whip. Okay. And make a check. He fails. It was great. So that pulls him up to X distance towards me. And I'm like, that is correct. It was great. Would you agree that it is feasible for me to make a dexterity check to just get out of the way? I can't argue with that. Okay, great. Long story short, uh, she rolls like a nat 20. <laughs> I think I gave him another check and he rolled like a two or something. Immediately ejects my orc just off the edge of the island. <laughs> and I'm like, that was a boss. But you know what? Okay, no, I'm just as a, as a DM, that was a cool idea. I built this map and I put him 25 feet from that edge. That's on me. I think those were all completely valid requests. And so the fight turns into, instead of slogging their way up to the top of this fortress for this huge showdown, the new girl walks in, yeets the boss off the edge, and the lieutenants are like, oh, God. And they just beat the crap out of these lieutenants and get everything they need and, you know, destroy the fortress and move on. And I got whomped in that, but it's my favorite story, and it's a story that they still talk about to this day. Like, we have memes about it. Just like, yeet. <laughs> oh, yep, there goes the boss. So she's just like, Scorpion, get over here, this guy, and just hundred percent. Like, <laughs> and it was such like a, it was such a, a negotiation too. She was like, so you would agree that I am twenty five? Yeah, I would. Okay, yeah. As I like, so you would agree that it's feasible that I, as a monk, could take one step out of the way. <laughs> Amazing. Um, and were you guys like, a, had you started your relationship at this stage, or was this like the moment you were like, no? Did you fall in love at that at that moment? 
I think, yeah, that was very much a like, oh, she's special. Oh, amazing. That's beautiful. <laughs> we need to get to know each other. That is beautiful. <laughs> and that is a perfect note to end the conversation on today. So one more time for everyone listening, where can the folks go to find out more about Relict? Everything is on the website, relictrpg.com. Wonderful. Chris, thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Jake. No, this was, this was awesome. Thank you for having me on. You've been listening to The Table Business, a Sounds Like Adventure podcast all about people doing great work in the tabletop world. If you'd like to know more about anything we spoke about today, all the links for all the people that we spoke to are available in the show notes. Or head over to soundslike.show on Instagram and we'll definitely be talking about them there. And if you liked what you heard, why not check out Sounds Like Adventure? That's our main show. It's an actual play podcast with fun roleplay, short runtimes, and great sound design. But to make sure you don't miss the next episode of The Table Business, make sure you subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And a five-star review really, really helps to get a few more people to see the show. And we hear it sounds like adventure. We would be so grateful if you took the time to do that. All right, with all that in mind, we'll catch up for the next episode of The Table Business.